42, and I'm being interviewed about my songwriting process. So how do you begin? I mean, how do you even start? He asks really quickly, as though he doesn't really care what the answer is. Okay, Samantha, now just try to relax. I'm going to insert the speculum. I'm 42, and I'm lying on a surgical table about to have an embryo transferred into my uterus. The doctor's name is Seeker, or Cedar, or Seely. <laughs> there have been so many, I can't keep track. His shiny round head disappears behind my open legs, and I feel the familiar cold steel of the speculum. So do you write the music first or the lyrics, he asks. <laughs> Our last round of IVF ended four months ago. The doctor who delivered that news was named Hagopian, or Aramangian, or Hodgepodgean. <laughs> it didn't matter. <laughs> okay, that's it. Dr. Cedar stands up. You know, my daughter is a musician, he says. She plays classical piano. Oh, wow, I say, that's great. Yeah, but you know, I told her she has to find something else. I mean, you can't make money as a musician. <laughs> Welcome to IVFU, a podcast about the pain, joy, angst, and love of trying to make a family the new fashioned way. I'm your host, Sam Shaber, and that was me you just heard performing a story about doctors. There's good ones, there's bad ones, and there's whatever that was. And I'm a freak in love, a freak in love with you. Today, you'll meet one of my favorite fertility doctors, and I've been through six of them, Dr. Janelle Luke of Generation Next Fertility. You'll hear about the unique challenges of her job, what the future of fertility might look like, and what we think makes a great doctor. I am talking to Dr. Janelle Luke at Generation Next Fertility. Hi. And um, we worked with you on our first uh, few rounds of IVF. Yes. Um, and you graduated from Harvard and Yale. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Yale yes. twice, in fact. Yes. You couldn't get enough the first time. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I just love studying so much. So what makes a good IVF doctor? Like if you could put ingredients into a soup and come out with... And obviously, you are going to have your own take on this, which is exactly what I want. But I, what are all the pieces of the soup that make a great IVF physician? Sam, I would love for you to answer that question, actually. Because <laughs> because um, it's like you go to a restaurant, it's like, what makes this guy a good chef? It's like, chef, well, my food is great. So right. that's why I'm a great chef. But um, this has to be the customers who go to a restaurant will say, well, because your food is delicious. That's why I think you're a great chef, right? That's true. So, so it's, I think it's more a uh, customer's answer question. But to me, um, as I strive to be one, yeah. is that I want um, a doctor who is very knowledgeable about science, which means um, a IVF laboratory that I'm very involved in and try to improve the environment in there. I always say my life should be better than your uterus. Uh -huh. You know, that's how that's what it is. <laughs> And if I want an IVF doctor, if I'm you as a yeah. patient, I want him or her to be treating me like I'm family. Mm. I mean, I still remember that night when you called me, you know, uh, it's not easy, you know, to be very involved. But if you were my sister, Sam, I would have done the same thing. Right. 
like whatever I did with it for you. Right. I don't think I would have done it differently. Right. Great. So you have a story of how you became a fertility specialist, why you went into reproductive endocrinology. So. Okay. Thank you, Sam, <laughs> for this opportunity. First of all, it is amazing that patient to be a doctor. I want to do a doctor to patient. So this exactly. is the first now and I will do that. And it is a joy to see you back here. So um, my mom was a girl and so it's a girl in China. In China yeah. And so um, when she was born, she was given away. So she was given um, away. That becomes a very huge motivation throughout my life in terms of studying, in terms of what my passion wants to be, um, to really give back to women, which is amazing because I'm in the era where lots of women empowerment is happening. Absolutely. And so uh, that's great. More the better. And um, my passion was really, I do very well in sciences and math and biology and combine these two passion. Uh, I went to uh, naturally into medicine and OBGYN was the field uh, that is more women's health. So that's the field that I first went to. And that's how the training usually go. You go into women's health. Um, Which is more of a general category. Right. right. Mm -hmm. And, And and during the years of training, I get to learn more about the menstrual cycle. And I think it is uh, miraculous. I fell in love with the cycle. I know it's, this is not right because most women say menstrual cycle sucks and why did they have menses and why is also all this bleeding? Uh, but it was, it is amazing kind of a cycling of a biology and science and I fell in love with it. And then yes, um, with reproductive endocrinology and fertility, there's lots of women empowerment into it, like egg freezing, biology logical clock is still unequal. Um, how right. Do you Nature has that? not caught up with modern yeah, that's life. That's yeah. right. Um, and <laughs> so how annoying. do we use science and, and technology to make the playing field more fair? And so that got me really excited to go into infertility. Um, and Sam, I don't remember where when did I get you your pregnant was because of IVF, That right? was a transfer. That was yes. an embryo transfer. Embryo transfer, yeah. So we did a little time dinner course. Wasn't going too well. And then uh, do we do IUI? We skipped it. We skipped it. So we'll go on to IVF. And even though we didn't wind up with the baby working with you, we loved your sense of humor. Yes. And we loved your sense of being very down to earth. And not every doctor is able to be that way. But we did appreciate that very much about you. So IVF is what? Fertilizing the sperm and the egg outside the body. And that's um, it. That's it. And <laughs> and 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 some many times, um, sometimes is to bypass some of the barriers that you have within the body when the sperm cannot penetrate the egg, when you cannot get fertilized. So then IVF becomes important. I would love to just walk through a textbook fertility cycle. I mean, in other words, a woman comes to you, she wants to get pregnant. The very first thing we do is we wait for her to get her period, correct? Yes, that's that correct. That is zero, step zero. Yes. Um, what are we doing though? What are we doing, IVF or are you Great right? question. Let's do IVF. Okay. Since we're called IVFU, okay. <laughs> we'll stick with IVF. Um, so they get stimulation from day two to mid part of the cycle, which day is day two 13. Day two being two days after, after they get the their period. period right. Yes. Uh, so they do something called at the FSH injections. Right. Okay. Um, and um, basically it's hormones that stimulate the ovaries to make more than one egg. And then we do it for 10 days. And then you would do the egg retrieval on day 13 or 14. And then you may need a baby making that day. Right. With the lab. And then five or three days later, you can have the embryo being transferred back. What is the difference between those two? Why do people transfer um, at three or really five? It's really case-to-case basis. A majority of lab and majority of my patients do go to day five. Human body is very interesting. You know, 
your culture and human life in the petri dish, um, there are lots of things that we haven't kind of manipulate, able to manipulate in humankind yet. And Sam, remind me, you your story was day three or day five? I well, it was day five. We started with four embryos. First, we transferred a five-day embryo, which didn't work out. And then we did two day threes, and then we did a day five. Gotcha. And more about the story is that if you cannot give us quantity, usually PGS or testing of the embryo, PGT now it's called, many places are doing PGT. Uh, it's very common now. Mm-hmm. Is everyone uses it? But um, there's some studies came out, or some uh, patients who have done many cycles, keep on having abnormal embryos, no normals, finally transfer an abnormal, not normal embryo, and got a baby. So there are lots of press uh. out there about how accurate is this test. What's your chance of getting pregnant? If you only have one embryo, why not just put back in, let yourself body test it out? So there are lots of back and forth argument and still continuing arguing right now. And that, that is something we've talked about too, is this idea of there are no absolutes. You know, a lot of it is statistics. A lot of it is chances. But that's just sort of speaks to the nature of science in general is it's not the same for everybody. Right. Someone might have a great baby from an abnormal embryo and someone may have a perfect embryo that's tested and it still doesn't work. That's right. 97% of the times what is normal is normal. So the data is very clear. So majority is fine. Yeah. The problem here is who comes to me? Uh. <laughs> who do the seventh or the fifth cycle or the fourth cycle? They are not common. Patients usually have sex and get pregnant. Right. <laughs> right. Um, so when they're not common, there are other factors into it. I say, so being a doctor, sometimes you kind of have to play a detective role and to see what else is missing. Um, if you go for common things, you're going to miss lots of things that are uncommon. So I have patients here come to me, they're 31, they just got married. They just want to know how to have sex and when to have sex. So that's one group of patients. Then six months later, they still cannot get pregnant. And sperm is fine, they're 31, 29 even they should get pregnant. So 80% of the time, they, wherever they go, we get pregnant. So let's say they try some sex, IUI, IVF will work. However, there are 31, 32-year-old patients where they become the minority. They didn't get pregnant by having sex. Mm-hmm. They didn't get pregnant by doing uh, IUI. They didn't get pregnant by doing three cycles of IVF. So now, these are the very rare because by now you should be pregnant. Right, and then and that may be in my category, which after many years of trying, I'm, I have unexplained infertility, which is actually a diagnosis. That's a thing, which to me means it's just sort of the limits of science at this That's point. That's right. Unexplained infertility actually is very misleading. It's not, I think they, one day they will change it because of science is going on to technology and innovation is going on to another level. It's basically a limit of science. It can be your, what about if it is an egg protein that cannot accept a sperm? There's about 15 to 20 chemical reactions happen between a sperm and an egg before it can penetrate an wow. egg. So if one of the reactions doesn't go well, who knows? You would not get pregnant. Yeah, right. I have a patient here. I'm like, hey, you did first time you have six, uh, five normal embryos. I'm like, whoa. What happened? Did you get have sex at the right time? What's going on? So, yeah. But then for that patient, it's unexplained. Right. And my friend Steph, actually, who's the first interview I did, she and her husband, it turned out they, had it, they went to an immunologist because her body would not welcome his genetic material. I mean, that's great science. This is where okay. so you have 10 different 10 doctors. You may have like 10 different answers. And each year there might be new. I mean, I think I remember even a couple of years ago, there was a breakthrough that they were allowed to have the embryo grow longer. Yeah, ethically. maybe it was one time I think they have artificial uterus, if you, ah. um, but I 
I don't know if that's Maybe right. I so that I'm wrong. not, yeah. Okay, vicious rumors. Um, so when we started our journey, I was using the word fertility, and a lot of people were already using the word infertility. And mentally and emotionally, that was challenging for me. So is there a line in the sand between fertility and infertility, or is it the same? Yeah, so ASRM does have guidelines. If you cannot get, if you're over the age of 35, and you're trying for more than six months, they don't agree as infertile, but you should seek um, REI care, you may have the issue of infertility. Okay. Um, so that is don't waste the, time. Yeah, don't waste time. <laughs> if you're under the age of 35 and you've been trying more than a year, that's also a term as infer, like you can possibly infertile. Ah. Uh, but infertility is kind of a weird way because it's, it takes a couple, so you have to always think not the woman infertile, the couple maybe, right? Because they were infertile for one year. Um, and yeah, that's one I way see. of thinking about that. And when we're thinking of testing, I know you can test motility yeah. on the male side. And quantity on sperm. Quantity. And how do they do those tests? They're obviously not counting all the sperm. Is there, yeah, they are. They really they are? They are counting the sperms. One by, well, not one by one, but in a square, you know, there's a oh, um, yeah. systemic way. Um, that's the first thing as a embryologist, entrologist learn. Yeah. And I did learn that in fellowship. Um, so counting sperm. You count um, quantity and well, as well as motility. And then in terms of egg... Um, um, there's only quantity, but not quality. Like right. And do you about. think that is something that we will be able to do someday? Someday, hopefully. And will they be biopsying the eggs the way they biopsy? You, I think hopefully non-invasive testing will be the way to go. Okay. Yeah. Because it's so fascinating how far science has gone. I mean, to do the PGD, PGS, you literally biopsy the embryo and you can study the genetic material. You can find out the sex of the baby. There's a million things you can find out. And yet you can't get into the egg. You know, it's, it's amazing how we can transfer an embryo, but we can't force it to embed That's itself right. in the uterus. That's right. We're only with it for so long, and then yes. we just have to wait. That's right. <laughs> and um, But I'm assuming maybe in time things like that will keep being developed. That's I correct. Don't know. Yeah, which is which is hopeful for, yes, for everybody. Yes, it is. Actually, it will be my dream. Yes. <laughs> so something I've been thinking about is what is it like for you as the doctor when things fail? I always felt like you were, again, sort of a perfect mix of humanity and professionalism <laughs> but how does how is that for you as it, the it is very hard I'm a very uh, emotional person that's in I feel strongly of what I do and I am very competitive so if someone I know she should have got pregnant and it, she did not then I would get into like I missed something what the heck um, and yeah, so I was telling Sam, I don't know how long I'm going to practice because it takes so strongly at heart. Uh, but yes, I try to balance with good news. And when they're paying, okay, I'm still there. You know, That's right. It. Um, the good balances. Yes, yeah, good yeah. balances to make my life a little bit easier. But I do, um, I, I think I do lots of empowerment. I tell patients lots of th limits I have. Like, you know, when we reach that pregnancy, when you're like, Dr. Luke, so are we, are we making it? Are we not making it? then it would take me a while to understand, um, okay, is this something, we, you know, I would say, hey, I don't know, Sam. But then we say, well, looking great. Today is five weeks. It would be great. You know, we reached the milestone. So let's watch it. Right, right. So all those things are part of the, kind of the, 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 the studying of everything and, 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 and to understand it and share that with the patient is sometimes uh, 
challenging, but I think if I explain it well, patient does understand your limits. Some patients don't. I mean, it is tough. And yet at the same time, we've we've talked a little bit about this, but I would think as a physician, you do need to protect yourself a bit from the emotions yes, involved yes. in we all talk this. about that. Because yes. if it really was your sister, you would be way involved more than a patient. I don't know. No, I mean, maybe not. I, <laughs> I mean, I don't have a brother, but... Uh, yeah. But still, I mean, maybe more phone calls, maybe some texts. But yeah. <laughs> other than, I mean, what can there's some limit that we all can do. But right. I, I guess, I guess, as a family or whatever, I, I think when the patient really needs to hear from you, that they're, they're there to listen and right. able to make that tough phone call, the not pregnancy phone call, right. the okay, you didn't get pregnant phone call or move on phone call was the next, those are the tough phone calls a doctor. So any practitioners has to make. Right. And a certain you, amount you, of yeah. compassion is, uh, yeah, like from me, I will say from the patient end, that is very much a part of the experience for me. Even a brilliant doctor can't possibly, may not be able to solve my problem. So at least then we have the compassion to make up for it. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to be, there's no doctor that's 100%. Right. Uh, we know that. If that's doctor, you should go there, not to me. Right. Then right. the doctor is 100% go. Please you know? go. Right. Um, but I think that is, uh, uh, at the end, is all the other things that goes makes a difference. Right. And I think what's, what's also key is each failure presents a new challenge. Like you said, when something fails, why did it fail? What did we miss? What what maybe is out there that we haven't explored yet? And I think the fact that you and other doctors are excited to investigate that, you know, the curiosity that you want to have and the drive to keep solving this is is pretty key. Like if you're a hairdresser and someone wants pink hair like me, they have a formula and a product and they might use one product over another, but they're going to get you pink hair at the end of the day. Absolutely. Maybe a different pink. Maybe then a different pink. You may not be the you right pink you like. may have a different texture to yes. your hair, but they're going to figure it out. Because that's something too, is it's always kind of at the end of the day, it's on us, the patient's to choose whether to continue. There's no one who will tell us this will absolutely work next time or this absolutely won't work next time. And it can be good and bad for us. You know, we want someone to be like, no, this is, it's time for an egg donor. Absolutely stop with yours or. Actually, there's doctors that like that. Ah, that was say stop, go for donors. Yeah. But that statement to me, I mean, not that. If, if as long as you're menstruating, how can you make that statement as a human being? Like, I understand you can tell patient one percent, can tell patient point one percent, but absolute zero. Who are you? You know, yeah. like um, <laughs> that is where I, I think that may be my weakness. But I'm, I'm clear to tell patient, hey, your chances is less than one. I only my oldest patient is let's say forty eight. That was my oldest patient. And I'll tell them that in forty nine year old patient, I was like, I don't know if you can get pregnant. Yeah. I think. It's not unrealistic. It's a little bit unrealistic, but... Not impossible. Right. I can't... You can't rule it out. Right. Um, But at the same time, when patients menopause, obviously, I'm like, you know, maybe we should just stopped at right. this moment. <laughs> um, uh, but it is, uh, then, then make sure the patient understands what's donor egg because now donor egg has a different kind of world because of the freezing of eggs. It's not that expensive, as expensive as before. Yeah. It's not as um, hard as before because eggs are ready for you to choose. Right, that's true. Do you have a father? I mean, any type of father? 
then you're going to want to hear a new series called Tell Me About Your Father. It's all about father figures, daddy issues, and dismantling the paternal mystique. Tell Me About Your Father aims to unpack all facets of the father, the loving, the ambivalent, the supportive, the irresponsible, the wealthy, the living, the dead. <laughs> These are the fathers who built us up and, well, let us down. It's free therapy, but funnier and just as deep. Tell Me About Your Father Season 1 is available now on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. So I just want to go over that fertility timeline. This is like day one. People come into the office and they get the news that since you were 18, things have changed no matter how old you are. How does that timeline work? It has these sort of cliffs that things fall off at um, different ages. It drops. I, I would draw it for you. Actually, I think it's more entertaining. People are like, okay, this curve is going down. So yeah. what the hell does that mean? Yeah. Anyway, um, so this is the curve and the age goes here. Okay. And the different age groups are the 35, 32, 35, 30, and then oh, oh my god, it's so then, painful. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and then the miscarriage. She just drew a dive well. that looks like this is a miscarriage. Oh Ray. wow! So you see, the yeah. life. So goes basically, on. you fall off a cliff and, somewhere <laughs> around thirty-five. I'm only laughing because it's so painful. Okay, under thirty, so about. 25%. Okay. But that's not bad. So one of four women would give up getting pregnant. That's right. why so many of your friends. So that means like four months, if you have sex once a month, you maybe would yes, get pregnant on the fourth true. month. Which yeah. is majority of the population. Yeah. So It's okay. It's very easy to get pregnant. Right. Uh, supposedly. But as we're delaying it, then that's when it's the effects down start to come down. That's right. right. Um, and so, however, um, the quality of eggs does decline at the age of around 18 or 20. Which and is then, so much earlier than most people think. Yes. So and, they get and, here. And, decline when you were born. Sorry. Oh. So it could keep on getting lost. <laughs> For guys, the only thing is they also keep on losing sperm. When they ejaculate, when they don't ejaculate, the sperm dies. Oh. But they rejuvenate. They don't have spermopause, I always joke. Oh, right. <laughs> but ovarian does not keep on going. That's why we'd have menopause. Um, the quantity start to decline as you get on. Every five years, it's like around 20, 25, and that little drop. The cliffs drop. It, it declines every year, but the cliff, like the sharper drop at the age of 25, 32, 35, 38, 40, and then 42. So those are the ages that are a little bit sharper in decline, yeah, both I, quantity and quality. And I first came to you when I was 39. So what would be my average chances what are the average It's about 15% 30? by having sex. 15, you should get, okay. yes, one five. The problem is that you're 39 or um, patient will come to four. Their miscarriage rate is 40%, 30 to 40%. So it's uh, quite high. And I also, I also had a miscarriage. But what was interesting is my beta number was never good. So what was helpful for me personally was being kept in the loop about that. I was never given false hope. It was always the number supposed to double every two days. Is that correct? Yes. And mine was, it was about limping. 66% to 100%. Okay. Increase. And mine was sort of limping yeah, along. Yeah, I, I remember. And I remember a day it was supposed to be at 10,000 and it was at 1,400. So it was actually, once we called it, I kind of knew it was coming. So it wasn't as much of a shock to me as it might be to other women where it seems like it's going well and then yes. it, it stops. Um, and what is the beta number because we all have these numbers 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 the beta is a um number and it's created by pregnancy cells oh so that's it a cannot thing. be yeah it cannot be created by your hand cells by no cells by cells that is in your body it has to be created by 
pregnancy cells. And those are in the uterus? Those are those in the embryo? In the embryo. Wow. Embryonic cells. Yeah. I never... So when you when I pee on the stick, if I buy a thing at the store and I, I take a home pregnancy test, somehow what's in my urine, it's showing those it cells? It has to be you're pregnant. Wow. That's interesting. We don't know where the pregnancy is, but it is you're pregnant. Somewhere in there. Yeah, somewhere yes. Somewhere Okay. There. Or you artificially inject yourself with something at ECG. So you know, remember, you get the trigger shot. Yes, yeah. So that trigger shot can also cause your urine to be positive. Right, because once you're getting close to ovulating and we're going to do the egg extraction, we need to really time that perfectly. And that's why we do the trigger that's shot right. or nasal spray. That's right. I had. Uh, nasal, yeah, that's a different, yeah. Oh, they, but they don't use it anymore. Oh, so. they don't. See, things have come so far in yes. four years since that's I was true. doing this. <laughs> but yeah, this is still a very really a very new science, I yes, think we could is. say. I mean, when was the, the first IVF cycle was the test tube baby? Was that yeah, like... Yeah, so well, 30 years ago. Actually, we had a 30 years anniversary. Which could also make it an exciting field if you are into this kind of thing to yes. be learning more. Yes. There's so much more yes. you could... Yes, yeah. Um, yeah, no, it is a very new field. And that's why we are open to the different kind of types of IVF. Mm-hmm. Well, and different we strategies. We talk about the and- strategies and using Eastern Meat West kind of medicine and to hopefully improve the results. The results. Wow. Yeah. Right. So something I've been thinking about is the fact that in my experience, more gynecologists are women than men, or maybe it's just that I seek them out. I don't know. But in the fertility world, it seems like more of the doctors are men. Do you feel that way? What is it I like? I still feel like it's statistically it's significant. True. Now, yes. why is that? So, as you may know, medical school start is about four years, and there's four years of residency and three years of fellowship. So less. Oh, we can put college in there. So 15 years from after graduating high school uh, for the training to do what I do. It is very dedicated to get into it. So you may need extra time, um, research, fellowships. It is tough. It's very competitive because all these people are very, very smart. Um, graduate from Harvard, graduate from Columbia, wherever, just very smart people. So it's very competitive. Not that women are not competitive, but the same as any field. Uh, once it's very competitive to be CEO, to be anything, maybe there's a gender preference. Maybe, I don't know. I don't, I don't think there's any discrimination. Actually, I don't. It's more who wants to pursue more. Right. Like in my uh, women's hospital, I did four years of training. I think there were four men and six women. So it's only 10 residents each year. Hmm. Uh, and all the men in my class all become REI. Wow. And But not all the women. No. And that only two. Oh, no. What me? One of the six will become the aria. And lots of women may not want to continue their long, long years of trainings. And then the rest will become high risk, urology, gynecology, and many other different fields. Is that, could that be a classic irony in the fact that women want to start families and they don't want to spend? 15 hours a day every day doing this? It can be, or... but actually OBGYN is quite well, a that's true. tough career in some ways that is very demanding. Demanding. Yeah. I, I just feel like most of the women that I've been friends with and my great friends and colleagues, and they really enjoy the, uh, like the, the challenge. The challenge yes. of a baby delivery. And they love the babies. Right. So they want to have that delivery because I don't see any babies I just right. make them and then I get pictures once they're so. pregnant you don't see them again that's sort of also crazy and ironic uh, when it works they disappear on you yeah that's yeah. right that's in, that's so interesting I never thought about that part too before that's right so yeah I'm um, a little bit different yeah interesting and so just to run through a couple of medical questions so let's just talk about follicles for a second because this is to me confusing yeah follicles are not eggs 
they hold eggs. Yes, they have eggs inside, and, and they wore a pocket, like it wore a circle, a little pocket. Yes. So, are we born with all our follicles as well? The yes, we're born are... with number of follicles and eggs in our ovary, all and they keep on dying. Yes, actually, it's twenty million at twenty weeks gestation. I think yes. Wow! If I memorize not wrong. So when we're born, we have six million. So and there's... actually, it died in euro. <laughs> I forgot, it's not when you're born, when you're in a mommy. It's Even dying. before you're born. Yeah. And there's one follicle for each egg. Yeah, but then you only ovulate about one egg per month. So it's about 400 cycles, 400 egg. Sorry, your these, are, these are things I memorized for the board. Okay, yeah. Uh, so, but it's about 400 <laughs> eggs. Wow, okay. That you ovulate. So you don't ovulate all 40,000 eggs or 4 million eggs. Right. That's why it's just one child. Right, okay. So let's say they measure eight follicles on your right side, eight follicles on your left side, which is classic and normal in women. Then you don't get 16 out. 25 million sperm swimming up. You don't have 16 kids in your belly. Dogs does. Has to, ah. not human being. Oh, wow. One baby, one mommy. Right. Twins are very rare. Good luck. Right. So, Clomid increases egg production? Yes. Number okay. of eggs. It's a ho- hormone? It's a medica- oral medication. It's actually called SERMs. Serum estrogen receptor modulator. Okay. Um, they look like estrogen, but they seduce the brain to form more than one egg. So, each month, you've se- your brain secretes a hormone called FSH. Only good for one egg. Ah. So the clomid tricked the brain and said, hey, can you do more FSH? Ah. And then am I correct in feeling as though there's sort of a constant push-pull between inducing more egg production and using the medication for that, but also trying to preserve the woman's health. Like, we don't want to over-medicate people yeah, and you wear want, them out. Yes. Is this, is this too woo-woo to no, talk no, about? No, that's, no, that's not woo-woo. I mean, that, every patient has different reaction to certain medications. Right. So it feels like it's always a bit of a balancing act between the medication and then the effects of the medication right. on the body. Yeah. Okay, so I just have one more question. It's not even really a question. Is there anything you would like to talk about or that you would like to add? Are there any pieces of your job or the world of... REI that you feel maybe need to be spoken about? I think it is a, fertility is a very confusing field. I mean, I don't do hedge funds. I don't do insurance. So if I'm, you know, if they try to explain me some plan and hedge, I'm like, what are you talking about? Stocks, right. what numbers, what NASDAQ, what? So um, it is maybe like that for certain patients. And I think um, empowerment is very important, like to understand at least what's going on with your doctor's talking about because there's also so much variability and you want to understand okay why is he doing this or why would the other doctor doing that so knowing the options are very important um and uh, matching really sam like you and i even though we didn't achieve we did achieve a pregnancy but not a little baby not a baby right uh <laughs> it is um finding your match yeah and to not to give up hope. I think that's very important. I mean, because I mentioned like we, we tried five different fertility centers over the course of time, partly because we moved to California. In yes, the middle. Right. And after we did a few rounds, we did go to Cornell. Uh-huh. And I want to say we went to Cornell because they've had huge success rates. Right, People right. love Cornell. Uh-huh. I didn't. That's all it really comes down to. No, but really, you know, I don't want to discourage people from trying Cornell right, or right, trying right. New Hope or trying uh, anywhere. Uh, oh, yeah. Because it is. It's all about the match. It's about how you feel. When I got to the first place we went, they 
they do mini stimulation and I thought it's more affordable it's less expensive which helped my stress level because I'm a musician we didn't have any money it's less invasive I thought great I'm not going to blow up or whatever happens I didn't even know and then it didn't work but you never really know but what is important is you do have those relationships yes and you and that you feel like it's a good fit that's right and I would say my soapbox I would say as a patient is if you go to a doctor even if there's some famous woman or dude that everyone is oh my god babies everywhere and you get a bad feeling this is a very emotional process we're dealing with hormones we're dealing with emotions I think it is important to place faith in the people you feel comfortable with because you may get those bad phone calls from them the no pregnancy phone calls make sure it's a person you can handle getting that phone call from sometimes you don't know till you get the phone call right 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 you know I think that can be also very important I think it also understands the sex rate and all this too. There are certain patients I know they will get pregnant anywhere they go. Mm, right, <laughs> right. Uh, so those are very important kind of uh, things to have to understand. What kind of patients clientele come to this office? Yeah. Are they used to this? Mm. And the patients interview the doctor. Yeah. When you like, let's say you're interviewing, like right now interviewing me and say, hey, doctor, what kind of generation is fertility? What kind of patients do you see? How many patients are younger than this age group? Because if I see a bunch of patients that is less than 30, I will get everyone pregnant, no? Right. (laughs) Right. Exactly. It's all numbers. But at the end, someone will fail and someone will be succeed. So... Right. And just lastly, these millions of dollars of research that we hope to have, like, for example, it kills me that Viagra is covered by insurance and most fertility treatments are not because there's money in Viagra. But isn't it crazy to think that they haven't realized how much money there is in fertility? Like, look at all the people doing this. What Do you think these studies are still on the I horizon? I think it's a business model. Okay, this is beyond me. I'm not a business person. Yeah. So like, I think it will come to that one day. Yeah. I think it will happen. I think yeah. it's going to happen and it will happen. Um, I think it's already happening. Wow. Very good. What a positive way to end. <laughs> thank you so no, much. No, thank you, Sam. Thank you, Dr. Luke, L-U-K. Yeah, thank Pronounced you. like Luke Skywalker. That's right, but Sam. But looks like the word luck is in good luck, except without the C. We'll work on the analogy later. And uh, at Generation Next Fertility, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Sam. Thank it's you. It's a pleasure. Thanks for joining me for episode 10 of IVFU. Come back to us episode 11 for the first half of a very special two-part season finale. You'll get to meet my own surrogate, Kaylee, who's eight and a half months pregnant with our son, Darwin, and gives me a little prep course on what to expect in the delivery room. So, George, I'm assuming we'll cut the cord and then you'll be sitting there for two hours with him on your chest. And yeah, it's just going to be a bonding experience for you guys. And then I'll just going to be laying there. So (laughs) probably order food. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that wild? I mean, it's really wild. It's really crazy. The IVFU podcast is produced by me, Sam Shaber, and Emmeline Summerton, and we'd love to hear from you. Please join our conversation on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at IVFU Podcast. For episode transcripts and to download our theme song, Freak in Love by Sam Shaber and The Happy Problem, visit IVFUPodcast.com. IVFU is distributed by Inside Voices Media. Our mixer is Allison Wilson, with additional sound design by J.C. Swatek. Our live story segment was recorded at the Art Parlor in North Hollywood as part of the long-running Story Salon series. 
If listening to these stories helped you and you think they might help someone else, we'd love it if you could help keep it going by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. You can also be a huge help in making season two a reality by leaving us a tip of any size, whatever you can afford, on Venmo and PayPal.me at IVFU Podcast. Thank you, and thanks for listening. I'm happy we shared this time together, because remember, it's all about being a family. And I'm a-